Good evening. Good to see you all again this evening. Appreciate you taking the time to be here on this Sunday evening. If you would like to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, we will wrap up our study of the, the seven churches in Asia and we'll look at the church and the message to the church in Laodicea. For those of you who haven't been here, our purpose is to look at these churches, look at the message to each of these churches, uh, not go into a, a great amount of detail, um, but to look for the similarities of the messages uh, to each one, um, to look how Jesus identifies himself, which is very important in the message that he brings, and we'll definitely see that tonight, and to gain encouragement and admonition. Look at the mistakes that these brethren were making and apply that to our own lives. And we'll especially um, consider that um, tonight as we talk about the problem of being lukewarm. I think we all know the, the message here to, to Laodicea, at least the part about being lukewarm. So we'll look at that and see what we can learn from that as we go tonight. As we've mentioned, um, John is in exile on the island of Patmos when he receives this vision. And he is told to write what he sees uh, in a book and send it to the seven churches who are th throughout Asia. And we looked at how this message um, or how this book then might have traveled. Um, and we can see the geography that makes sense to us that it might travel this way. So we've looked at uh, all of these. Now we come to Laodicea, which is the last um, in the series of, of the messages to the churches. One of the things we've looked at is the description of Jesus. Um, and we won't go through all these individually, but I just wanted to put these up again so you can see how in the introduction in chapter 1, Jesus identifies himself a certain way. John sees him a certain way. And those play into, the, into the, the messages that go to each one of these uh, churches. Um, so here we are in Philadelphia um, about the, the keys of death and, and of Hades. And um, we come to Laodicea. And we see that Jesus is, calls himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And if we go back to chapter 1 and look... In the very introduction, John describes Jesus in this way, uh, the faithful witness, in verse 5 of chapter 1. In verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those would be the beginning and end of the Greek alphabet. And then in verse 17, he says, I am the first and the last. So we see very clearly um, this idea of the first and the last expressed here, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We'll go into a little bit more detail on that as we go. <clears throat> as, we as we do each time, we look at the, the ancient city of Laodicea. Um, the city lies about 40 to 50 miles southeast of Philadelphia, which is, we just saw that on the map. Uh, and it's about 90 miles east of Ephesus. So we kind of see how it, it lines up there across from Ephesus where uh, these messages began. Um, it's about 11 miles west of Colossae. Um, there's a letter, of course, to the Colossians. There's a tie in there. We won't go into a lot of detail on that 
uh, tonight because of time, but um, we see us right in the, in the middle of, of a lot of things, a lot of cities and things that we see mentioned in Scripture. Um, founded by Antiochus II, who was a Seleucid king. This is during the, 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 the Grecian Empire. Um, this King Antiochus II, and it was named for his wife, Laodice. So we can see, obviously, where that name comes from, Laodicea. Um, its location, like many of the, the cities that we have talked about, was strategic militarily um, because of where it sat, and also it was on a trade route, which we see often in these, when we're talking about these cities, and how that brought in people and commerce uh, and cultures um, being on a trade route as it was. And Laodicea was a very wealthy city. We'll see that in a little bit more detail in just a second. Just a second. A couple of interesting things about this. There's a nearby school of medicine known for the eye medicine that, that they developed. This is a, in nearby to Laodicea. There was also um, a surround, in the surrounding area, there was a, a type of sheep that was prized for their, for their glossy black wool. Um, and then also, the city was a, was a banking center, uh, center with trade uh, that was going on because of it's on a trade route. It made it a very wealthy city. So these three things are going to come back up in just a moment, but just kind of keep those in the back of your mind. This um, tie-in that we'll, that we'll look at here in just a moment. So it was a very wealthy city um, because of the banking center, because of the natural resources, the trade route, all those things add up to be a very um, wealthy city. Uh, and indeed, many Jews lived there. Um, it was kind of like a retirement city. Um, we kind of understand that living in Florida. A lot of people come to Florida to retire. Um, Laodicea was, was kind of that way. A lot of people that came to Laodicea because of the wealth there, because of the lifestyle there, and so it was, it was like a retirement city uh, for a lot of people, including a lot of Jews. It was destroyed in an earthquake in 60 AD. We've talked about the earthquakes that hit Philadelphia and Sardis um, and how they received money from Emperor Tiberius. This was early on, like I think the date was 17 AD. Um, how they needed money uh, to rebuild their city. Well, Laodicea was, was so wealthy that they didn't rely on any funds uh, from, the, from the imperial government to rebuild. They were able to rebuild on their own. So it kind of tells you about the, the wealth of this city. A couple of uh, images here just to kind of place this in your mind. This is a, um, a colonnade. You see all the colonnades, all, all the columns going down this colonnade. This would have been, this is a, a ruin of a street there in Laodicea. Seems like a pretty rough street to, to travel on. <laughs> um, but there's you know, things going on there. Uh, this is the ruin of uh, the amphitheater. I, I may mention that lots of these cities would have an amphitheater in them. Um, and you can see clearly up here the rows that were there, they, a little bit more of, of in ruin down at the bottom, but it was, it was quite typical for, for these the Roman cities um, in, in this province and other places to have amphitheaters like this. 
This is the ruin of a, of a bath. Um, you've heard of Roman baths. Um, this is the ruin of that. There were aqueducts that brought water into the city. Um, so this was a, a wealthy and very modern city of the time. But you can see the, the, the ruins here, and you can see how it, oh, it sits in this plain. That made it the strategic for military um, as well as the, the roads for the trade routes. So in each one of the uh, messages to, that goes to these churches, we see a pattern, and we've kind of used this pattern to, to guide us through um, the message. So we'll, we'll do that again tonight. And, and the first thing we see is the salutation. And of course, that, those are all the same, with the exception of, of changing the name of the city. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. So we see that in each one of these messages. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, each one of these. Next we have Jesus' self-designation, which we, we've mentioned. And Jesus, again, calls himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in what he has said there. So I want to take a minute just to talk about each one of those things. First, the Amen. Interesting here that it's capitalized. In your, in your translation, it probably is, is, is capitalized meaning giving it a proper noun name. So the amen, um, it, it, and it's only used as a proper noun here in this, in this particular instance, talking about Jesus. Call, he calls himself the amen. And amen, just d define it. Um, if it comes at the beginning of, of something someone's going to say, it means surely or truly or verily. You've probably heard that before. If it comes at the end of something that is said, it means, so it is, or so be it, or may it be fulfilled. That's why we hear amens at the end of our prayers, and we hear others in the congregation echo that. So the, the, the sentiment there is, so be it, let it be, um, may it be fulfilled. But the idea here is, is, a, is that of truth and faithfulness. Um, and if it's used, as he's using it as his name, it guarantees that he is true and faithful. Using it in this proper noun way guarantees. It tells us about Jesus and the way he calls himself the amen. The faithful and true witness. As I mentioned there in, in chapter 1 and verse 5, Jesus is introduced as the faithful witness. Um, so again, we understand about who he is. His testimony is absolutely true. He is the faithful and true witness. If anyone knows of the things that have happened to Jesus, it's him. So he is that faithful and true witness. The gospel message is all about him. He is the one that is the faithful, true witness of the gospel message. The beginning of the creation of God. Uh, we know from Scripture that Christ is the source of all created things. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared uh, by, by the word of God. And we understand and we know that Jesus is the word of God. Uh, so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. So we understand that Jesus is, when he calls himself the beginning of the creation, he absolutely is. Um, Christ is eternal along with his Father, 
and along with the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. The Godhead is eternal. All other beings, including us, including angels, including Satan himself, all these are created beings and do not have that eternal um, property as the Godhead does, as God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All other things are created beings. So putting this all together, um, we see that Jesus is the beginning, as he has said here, and as we see in Scripture, he was there. God spoke things into existence. Jesus Christ being the Word of God. All things were made through him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. As I mentioned, this is the beginning and the end from chapter 1 and verse 8. So he was there in the beginning, and when, uh, when through, through him all things were created, and he is there at the end. He is the Amen. He is the so let it be. He is the uh, may it be fulfilled. We talk about Jesus in fulfilling the law. This is another insight into that, how he fulfilled all things. He is the end of all things. Um, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is at the end, the, the Amen. So it, let it be, may it be fulfilled. As we go through um, the message, um, what we typically see is a commendation of the good things that the brethren at this particular location were doing. Well, if you read here closely and understand, there was no commendation. There was no, um, uh, there was nothing that they were doing well. Jesus doesn't commend them on anything that they are doing. Instead, um, it's all condemnation of things that were going on. The condemnation of evil is the next part of each, of each message. And as I mentioned, um, with the church in Laodicea. Their problem was being lukewarm. Let's uh, read here, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3 in Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this idea about lukewarm... Um, being neither hot nor cold. Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold. And we think about that, and sometimes we might think, well, um, it, what, what is Jesus saying? Is he, does he want some to be zealous, to be on fire? 
uh, for the Lord and some not to be. Um, there may be some of that in there, but, but I, I tend to not believe that that's what he's saying because it's God's will for all men to be saved. So rather, when we think about neither the hot nor cold, they were not being useful. You know, if you think about cold water on a hot day, how useful that might be. Or to think about the opposite, hot water on a cold day. You know, one or the other is useful, but being lukewarm doesn't do any good. Doesn't do any good to either one of those situations. And the idea here is they were content to remain this way. They were content to remain tepid, to remain lukewarm or, or, or status quo. Um, it says there, verse 16, because you um, are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They had an idea of what they thought they were. They had an idea that they thought that they um, were doing well, but they weren't. They were just going along. They were just status quo. As a result, Jesus was disgusted with them. Such harsh language that we see here. Your version may say, vomit you out of my mouth or spit you out of my mouth. He was disgusted with them because of their tepidness, because they were okay just to go along with the status quo. And he threatened to rid himself of them. Think of it in those terms. Because you are this way, I'm going to get rid of you. But in that, he says, I will, as in it's yet to come. As we see with so many of, the, of these uh, messages, there's a call to repent. There's a call to change. Or else something might happen. Or something will happen, excuse me. There's still a chance to repent. He says, if, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Giving them a chance to make the necessary changes. They were self-satisfied. They were quite content with the lives that they were leading. Remember, this was a wealthy city. People who had retired there. Who were happy just to go along. Just to go along to get along, as we might say. The next in the, the, the form of the letter here is the warning and the exhortation. What will happen if you don't change what you're doing? The warning here, um, Jesus says, he says to buy my gold and his white garments and his eye salve. Remember how we introduced this talking about um, the wealthy city. Um, as mentioned, Laodicea and the surrounding area were known for these three things. Jesus wanted them to buy gold from him. And then we see that what he's getting at here is he doesn't want them to rely on their own wealth. He's looking, he's speaking in terms of spiritual wealth here, of course. He's talking, all this is talking about spiritual things. But he's using these examples to, uh, to get them to understand that the gold that they need is the one that he can provide. The spiritual wealth that he can provide not relying on their own, um, their own resources. Uh, the white garments instead of the black wool garments that we, that we mentioned. Interesting that, that that's used there. Um, white garments instead of the black ones. White, as we know, is that color of purity. We talked about this morning about those who had overcome the, overcome the tribulation that washed their garments in the blood of the lamb and made them white. White represents that purity. And then the eye salve, 
to anoint their eyes. And we talked about in the surrounding area, there was a, they developed a medicine for, for people's eyes. Um, and these, you know, th take this for what, it's, what it is, um, but it's interesting that these things are said in this way. He said that they needed eye salve from him. They needed to be enlightened. They needed to understand um, that they couldn't rely solely on themselves. They needed to be enlightened. They needed to have the things that Jesus can provide for them, the gold and the garments, the white garments, and this eye salve, open their eyes to what is being said. And he tells them to be zealous and repent. And as I mentioned, there was still time. There's still time for them to renew their zeal and to turn back from their ways. As we see in, in these messages, Jesus gives them time to repent. The next part of the message is the, is the promise of reward for overcoming. So in this message, we, we hear Jesus talking about uh, dining with him, uh, to sit with him on his throne. What wonderful things that is. Um, he, another familiar uh, part of this message is um, Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks. That is opportunity brought right to you, if you think of it in that way. Think of being at your home and Jesus coming and knocking on your door. How much more of an opportunity is that? We don't have to go out looking for it. Jesus is right there. He's right there. And there's an opportunity brought right to them. And if they answer, he will come into the house and dine with them. There's that, that closeness that Jesus wants with his, with his children, God wants with his children. He wants that closeness and this idea of dining with him um, is that intimate relationship that he wants. And think of it also in this, in, in this way. You know, he says that I'm disgusted with you because you're lukewarm and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. This is the opposite. This is Jesus coming into the door, coming into your life, dining with you, sitting down, being a part of your life. Instead of getting rid of you, he wants to become... Uh, a part of you. He wants to be in your life. So we see that in that opposite way. And they would be given the honor of sitting alongside him on his throne. Think about what a great honor that is. In Revelation 2 and verse 26, I will give authority over the nations. He's talking about those who overcome uh, there in Thyatira. He says, I will give you authority over the nations. That was a prophecy uh, of Jesus. But the equivalency here is striking how it is that we become fellow heirs with Christ, as Paul talks about in Romans. Christ our brother. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. We have that, that opportunity to reign in the kingdom of God. Just like uh, these here in Laodicea, they, he's telling them, that if you let me in, here's the opportunity. Let me come in. And if so, you can, uh, we can dine together. And you can sit with me on my throne that was promised to me and that I have taken. A strong message here to Laodicea. Much more that we could go into. Uh, much more that are, that's contained within these verses. But this is an overview of it. So as we do... Um, the last part here, invitation to hear the message given. 
each one of the messages ends in this way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's an invitation to hear. Um, and it's interesting that each one of these ends in this way. In other words, the repetition uh, means something. Listen to the message that's, that's being given. So what's the message to us? From the message here we read about in chapter 3 here about the message to Laodicea. First, um, we can place our hope and our trust in Jesus because he is the beginning and the amen. He's the alpha and the omega. What a wonderful uh, tie-in that is to think about how Jesus uses that um, the beginning and the end. He was in the beginning with God and he is he is throughout eternity. Before Abraham was, I am, is what our Lord says. And we can place our hope and our trust in that. We know that he is eternal and he is unchanging, so we can place our hope and our trust in Jesus. We must be careful in becoming too comfortable. The brethren here in Laodicea apparently had become very um, comfortable with their surroundings and comfortable with the things that were going on. So they were very um, tepid. They were okay with the status quo. Brethren, we have to be very careful about that. We have to be very careful to make sure that we don't get in that same rut where we're just happy to be going along, not hot or cold, not being useful either way. We need to be very careful about that. We must not put our trust in the things of this world and riches, and material things, and the enlightenment of men. Um, we can't put our trust in those things. As we mentioned at the beginning, we put our trust in Jesus Christ, because he's eternal. Riches, and material things, and, and the knowledge of men, these all things pass away. But Jesus Christ is eternal. So that's where we put our trust, and not in the things of this world. And as long as we live, there's always opportunity to open the door to him. There's nothing that we can't be forgiven of. If we are a child of God and we have strayed, we have sinned, we can ask for forgiveness, and, and God is faithful and just to forgive us. We know that from 1 John uh, 1 and verse 9. So there's always an opportunity, as long as we have this day, as long as we have tomorrow, we have an opportunity. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He is that close. He is that close to each one of us. And as long as we uh, give him that opportunity, what a blessing we have for him to come in and dine with us, to have that intimate relationship with us that he wants. And that is truly a blessing. I hope that these messages have been um, encouraging to you. We see the, um, the depth of God's word. We see how Jesus uh, speaking here with such authority and commending these churches when uh, they needed to be commended, when they were doing things right, but admonishing them and warning them when they were doing things wrong. And as we mentioned at, at our very outset, why, why is it this seven churches? Um, we talk about the importance of numbers in Revelation. Seven is that complete holy number. Um, we look here that Jesus is among the seven lampstands and the seven stars, the seven spirits. This is a fullness, a completeness, and a holiness. 
So when these messages go to these seven churches, it, it is, is a complete message. So when we have problems in our own congregation, we can look here and see the problems that they were having and see what Jesus warned them of and see how we can correct those problems. So we have the complete will of God, and it's a wonderful thing that we have that. We have it preserved for us here in the opening part of this, uh, this book, this great book of Revelation. So I hope you've been encouraged by this. I hope that you will remember these things, look to these admonitions and these encouragements when times are tough in our own lives. We offer an invitation at this time. If you are in need of um, uh, obeying the gospel, you can do that tonight. If as a child of God you have strayed and you need the prayers of the congregation, we can help you with that as well. You can let your requests be made known by coming forward as together we stand and sing.